Hey everyone, Craig Baird here. Before I begin today's story, I want to take a moment and ask that you check me out on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. There are several tiers with great benefits, from ad-free content to t-shirts and other cool stuff. And I have plenty of wonderful merch in my store, and the link is in my show notes. As well, if you're a fan of Canadian history, make sure you check out all of my shows, from John to Justin, Canadian History X, Canada, A Yearly Journey, and Pucks and Cups, along with Canada's Great War. And don't forget, you can also donate directly to the show at www.canadaehx.com. Just click Donate. It helps keep this show going. Okay, on with the show. I'm Craig Baird, and this is Canada's Great War. The majority of Canadians likely can't name too many generals in Canadian history, at least post-Confederation. There are several famous ones, but few reach the level of fame that Sir Arthur Currie enjoys. In fact, it could be said that his fame in mythology has only grown since the First World War, and especially since his death. So this week we're looking at the man who is synonymous with the First World War, Sir Arthur Currie. The story of Sir Arthur Currie begins in Adelaide, Ontario on December 5, 1875, when he was born to William Garner Currie and Jane Patterson. The third of eight children, he grew up on the homestead of his grandparents, who arrived from Ireland in 1838. Their last name was Corrigan, but they changed to Curry with a Y. His grandparents led a hard life, and of their nine children, only four survived to adulthood. William was one of those children, and in 1868 he married Jane. Seven years later, Arthur was born. In his home, it was a strict Methodist environment that he often pushed against. Later in his life, he became an Anglican. At school, he was a good student and had plans to pursue law and medicine. As a student, he was known for his playful side and was a gifted speaker. Many felt that his desire to be a lawyer was a perfect fit for him. After the death of his father in 1891, he had to help support the family and pursue teaching but was unable to secure a job. His dream of becoming a lawyer was put to the side so he could ensure the family had money. And after going to British Columbia to take advantage of the financial boom thanks to the building of the railway, he instead took a teaching job in Victoria. On May 6, 1897, he joined the Canadian Militia as a part-time gunner with the 5th Field Artillery Regiment. This was the lowest rank in the militia. It was in 1897 that he changed his name from Curry with a Y to Curry with an IE. It's not known for sure why he did this, but some believe it was because of people mocking his last name, as it was the same spelling as a spice from India. Three years later, he was given the rank of corporal and then offered an officer's commission. In 1899, he had a stomach ailment that put him in the hospital, but he soon recovered from that. In February 1900, Curry left his teaching position to become an insurance salesman, and on August 14, 1901, he married Lucy Chalworth Musters. As an officer, Curry attended every course offered by the British Army contingent on Vancouver Island, he practiced at the shooting range every Saturday, and ordered military texts from London. He quickly rose through the ranks and became known as an excellent marksman and disciplinarian. In November 1901, he was promoted to captain, and then became a major in 1906. By September 1909, he was a lieutenant colonel, commanding the 5th Regiment. As commander, his regiment won the Governor's General Cup for efficiency four times in competitions with other artillery units. At this point, his insurance career was going well, and he was the head of the Matson Insurance Firm. 
he soon began investing heavily in the real estate market, but the good times would not last as property prices fell, and this would become a major issue in the coming years for Curry. On August 15, 1913, the government formed the 50th Regiment Gordon Highlanders of Canada, and Arthur Curry was offered command. He initially turned it down due to the cost of the uniforms and mess bills of which he had to pay. His finances were hurting, but he eventually took the post in January 1914. One of his junior officers was Garnet Hughes, son of Sam Hughes, who had quite the impact on Curry's life. Hoping to avoid bankruptcy, which would have forced him to resign his commission, Curry decided to do something that would come back to haunt him. Given $10,334.34, about $255,000 today, in order to buy new uniforms, Curry used the funds to pay off his own personal debts. William Coy, the honorary colonel of the regiment, had promised to underwrite $35,000 for the regiment, and Curry was going to use that to pay the uniform contractor. Coy didn't do that, and Curry was left with the fact that he had embezzled money. Upon the outbreak of the First World War, Curry's life was about to change. Originally offered the position of commanding officer of the West Coast Military District, he turned that down as it was a desk job. In September 1914, Curry was made the commander of the 2nd Canadian Infantry Brigade. Traveling to Valcartier Camp near Quebec City, where 35,000 soldiers were being formed into divisions and brigades, Curry met with Prime Minister Robert Borden for the first time. Borden stated he was impressed, adding, He spoke with evident emotion, with amped expression, and a thorough appreciation of the duty that lay in front of him and his men. From the first, he was an outstanding man among Canadians. Prior to leaving Canada, Major Cecil Roberts wrote him asking about the status of the uniform grant. Curry simply ignored the letter. In October 1914, Curry went across the Atlantic and arrived in England, where he spent the winter living and training in the Salisbury Plain. Curry's brigade would not see its first action until April 1915, when it participated in the Second Battle of Ypres. The battle saw the first use of chlorine gas by the Germans, and the battle resulted in Curry's brigade losing half its strength, but also raised its profile in the army. After the left flank of the French colonial troops broke, a 7-kilometer gap in the Allied line opened. Curry began issuing commands from his brigade headquarters while it was under fire, and then put together a defense and counterattacked. After several days of fighting, the Allies established a stable defensive line. At the Battle of Festubert, Curry's brigade was heavily hit and suffered 1,200 casualties over just a few days. After British General E.A.H. Alderson was put in command of the Canadian Corps, Curry was made the commander of the 1st Canadian Division in September 1915 and promoted to Major General. Alderson was a fan of Curry, stating, Curry out and out the best. Curry now had command of 18,000 troops in the division with three infantry brigades, gunners, engineers, medical staff, and support units. The battles in the previous months had shown Curry that the infantry was the sharp end of the knife that was served by artillery. He reasoned that it was best to bombard enemy positions with high explosives and shrapnel to clear obstacles, destroy strong points, and keep the enemy away from the firing line. As a commander, Curry also didn't fit the image of what the British saw as a commander. He was overweight, he didn't have a mustache, and he encouraged an interchange of opinions. He was also well-liked by his officers and comfortable with his staff. He did have issues with some soldiers, though, who found him stiff and abrupt and sometimes insulting. Discipline was important to him to maintain the soldiers in large divisions, and he insisted on salutes, polished buttons, and more.
Curry became known for his thorough planning and preparation, which many felt was because he wanted to avoid needless casualties. Andrew McNaughton, who would later command the Canadian Corps Heavy Artillery in 1918, wrote, Curry used organization and covering support of all kinds to the maximum in order to ensure the lowering of the cost of lives. That being said, Curry was fine with putting his men into action when needed. It was his division that became the first Canadian one to conduct a trench raid, which were often highly dangerous. Alderson remained in command until May 1916 when Sir Julian Bing, the future Governor-General, took over command of the Canadian Corps. At the Battle of Mont Sorel, Curry's division took part in a successful counter-attack against the Germans. To prepare, Curry gathered over 200 artillery pieces and had his infantry practice for days to get ready. Throughout the Battle of the Somme, Curry's 1st Canadian Division suffered heavy losses. Bing ordered Curry to study the Battle of the Somme and advise what lessons could be taken from it. Curry questioned senior French officers, but also junior officers, and noted the discrepancies between the beliefs of the senior officers and the actual experience of the junior officers. As a result of this, organizational changes were made to the platoon structure. During the Battle of Vimy Ridge in April 1917, Curry successfully executed the victory that was orchestrated by Bing. The Battle of Vimy Ridge would go a long way to building the myth of Curry. Today, he is often misidentified as the architect of a successful battle. He did not orchestrate it, but he did play an important role, along with other divisional commanders. So we also laid out a full-size model of the ridge for the men to practice on. They know where every German strong point is, every machine gun, every bunker. General Curry, you do know the French have tried for the last year to take Vimy Ridge, yes? And that we also... I uh, know, sir. What exactly makes you... Uh... Our guns will begin at dawn. My dear wife, this may be my last letter to you. We go into action in 20 minutes. It's the biggest thing I've ever been in. At precisely 0500, the men will move out of the tunnels, keeping precisely 300 yards behind the creeping barrage. Dear mother, as I looked to right and left, all I could see was Canadians. By five o'clock, Vimy Ridge was ours. And mother, I thought, we are a nation. This is us. It was the first significant victory of the war. After Bing was made a commander of one of the British armies, he recommended Curry replace him. On June 9, 1917, Curry was made the commander of the Canadian Corps and knighted. He was also promoted to Lieutenant General. Throughout the war, Curry had shown incredible stamina and pushed himself hard. He was known to stay up past midnight and wake up only a few hours later, lighting his pipe and getting back to work. Of course, this often led to exhaustion, and those around him learned to stay away from him when he was tired, as he would often explode in anger and profanity. Sir Sam Hughes, who was no longer the Minister of Militia and Defence, told Curry to appoint his son Garnet to the command of the 1st Division. Curry refused to do so, appointing Archibald Cameron Macdonald instead. Curry believed that Garnet Hughes to be incompetent, and at this point Curry no longer had any friends in the Hughes family. Curry would write that Hughes never ceased to blackguard me and to minimize my influence and my authority of my own men. The thing to which he and his associates resorted would bring a blush of shame to the face of every decent citizen of this country. If you want to learn more about Sir Sam Hughes, who is a real piece of work, then check out my first season episode about him. 
Unfortunately, around this time, the rumors about Curry taking $10,000 in funds began to appear. The rumors reached the ears of Prime Minister Sir Robert Borden, and by this point, Curry was arguably the most famous soldier in the Canadian Army, and Borden refused to court-martial him. Curry borrowed money from wealthy friends David Watson and Victor Olam to repay the funds, but the damage was done to his reputation among politicians. That poor reputation was contrasted heavily with the reputation he had on the battlefield as a leader. In August 1917, Curry and the Canadian Corps won a victory at Hill 70, and then joined the Passchendaele Campaign. I'm going to be talking about both Hill 70 and the Passchendaele Campaign this season, so stay tuned. For that campaign, Curry planned a four-phased attack that took place from October 26th to November 10th, 1917. The battle was a success for the Canadians, but it resulted in 9,000 casualties for the Canadians. At this point, Curry was seen as an adept leader in command of a hard-hitting fighting force that delivered results on the most difficult of battlefields. Curry gave praise to his troops for this, stating that the achievements testifies to the discipline, training, leadership, and fine fighting qualities of the Canadians. Words cannot express the pride one feels in being associated with such splendid soldiers. Sir Henry Sinclair Horne, the commander of the 1st British Army, stated, The 1st Canadian Division is the pride and wonder of the British Army. Brigadier General Victor Wentworth Oldlum stated that Curry earned a reputation among the members of the High Command as one of the most careful and human leaders in the field. Seeing the meat grinder of the First World War led Curry to publicly support conscription, itself a major issue in Canada. I'll be talking about the conscription crisis on April 10th. Curry, for his part, wanted to avoid being involved in political disputes. When he did support conscription, Liberal candidates called him a butcher on the battlefield. At the start of 1918, the Canadian government wanted to expand the Canadian Corps by forming a 5th Division, but the British wanted the Canadian Corps reorganized to mirror the British divisions. Curry opposed these measures and integrating American troops into the Corps, and he was successful in preventing these changes. During the 100 Days campaign from August 8th to November 11th, 1918, Curry further cemented his legacy and his myth for his planning and leadership during the campaign. Under the leadership of Curry, Canadian soldiers won several victories including Amans, Cambrai, and Valenciennes. These victories came at the cost, though, of 45,000 casualties. Curry wrote to Borden, To my mind, no force of similar size played anything like so great a part in bringing the proud enemy to its knees. The high cost of the casualties and the constant meddling of Hughes and lowering Curry's reputation damaged the view of Curry around Canada, as casualty numbers mounted. And by the time the war was ending, the strain of leadership had taken its toll on Curry. Despite only being 41, his face was lined with stress marks, he had put on more weight than he had at the start of the war, and his hair had thinned heavily. The high casualties and his support of conscription led to troops and politicians accusing Curry of being cold-hearted and a man who sacrificed Canadian soldiers for the sake of his own reputation. On the last day of the war, Curry's superiors ordered him to press on despite the troops being exhausted. He was ordered to capture the city of Mons, Belgium. It was nothing more than a symbolic victory, as it was where the British army had started its retreat in August 1914. After the battle, 280 Canadians were killed, wounded, or missing. Despite being ordered to take the city, Curry was hated by some of his men for it. One soldier stated, The war's over tomorrow and everybody knows it. What kind of rot is this? Another soldier who lost his brother in the battle, 
stated that he would shoot Curry if he ever saw him. But there was still high praise for Curry. One newspaper wrote, He labored hard training reinforcements and infusing through all the ranks the theory and spirit of the offensive. His formations were large, but they were mobile. When the war ended on November 11, 1918, Curry left the battlefield with the reputation as one of the top generals of the war. He was widely respected for his planning and preparation, and the fact he reorganized the importance of artillery to trench warfare. Prime Minister Borden said that Curry was a brilliant military commander. When Curry returned to Canada, though, there was no fanfare for him, and when he met the Canadian Parliament at the Victoria Memorial Building, he received a lukewarm reception. When his name was spoken, several women hissed at him from the gallery. Curry still had no friends in the Hughes family, and Sam Hughes said in the House of Commons on March 4, 1919, that Curry needlessly sacrificed the lives of Canadian soldiers. Hughes stated that any general who ordered an assault on Mons on the last day of the war should be tried summarily by court-martial and punished so far as the law would allow. Borden spoke out in favour of Curry, stating, No criticism could be more unjust. Newspaper and veterans groups reacted harshly to the accusations against Curry, a sensitive man and one who loved the soldiers under his command with an affection that was deep and real. He was forced to stand by while his enemies reviled him. On August 23, 1919, Curry was made the Inspector General of the Militia Forces in Canada. In May 1920, he left his Inspector General position to become the Vice Chancellor of McGill University. He held his position until 1933. As vice-chancellor, he launched a fundraising campaign that brought in $6.5 million and helped revitalize the university. And through the rest of his life, Curry rarely responded to accusations that he was a poor general who put his men's lives on the line for his own glory. One of the rare times was in 1927 when the Evening Guide, a small newspaper in Port Hope, Ontario, called him a butcher. Curry sued the paper for libel, and the court case vindicated him in the eyes of the public. Many of Curry's senior officers testified that he advised them to advance with caution to avoid unnecessary casualties. The trial lasted 16 days and was covered by newspapers from throughout Canada, the United States, and the British Empire. After four hours, the jury found the newspaper guilty of libel, but awarded Curry only $500. The Ottawa Citizen wrote, He was big enough to stake his reputation as a man and as a soldier against the violent criticisms of lesser mortals, and he was content to wait until history and truth should vindicate his decisions. After the trial, Curry suffered a stroke and spent the last years of his life in poor health. In his last years, he spoke in favour of disarming and the need for international dialogue. On November 5, 1933, he suffered another stroke, and on November 30, 1933, he passed away. The Ottawa citizen wrote, The indomitable will which carried him through the days of the war and on the victory culminating with the entry into Mons on Armistice Day 1918 fought for Sir Arthur through three weeks of critical illness. William Lyon Mackenzie King wrote in his diary that, I regard Curry as a fine man, a really fine good man, simple and earnest, and one who has really rendered his country and fellow men great service. His funeral on February 5, 1933 in Montreal was the largest funeral to that point in Canadian history. The Times wrote, It was, by common consent, the most impressive funeral ever seen at Montreal. Former Prime Minister Robert Borden stated it was, perhaps more elaborate than at any state or military funeral in the history of Canada. 
And even though it was cold, with rain and wind, an estimated 250,000 people lined the streets to watch the procession and the Canadian Radio Broadcasting Commission broadcasted across the country. The funeral included a 17-gun salute, and a service was also held at Westminster Abbey on the same day. At Arena Gardens in Toronto, 7,000 people attended a memorial service for Curry. Elsewhere in Montreal, war veterans as well as militia unit personnel took up formations along the route to the final resting place of Curry. Thousands of wreaths from across the British Empire were also sent to Montreal and put around the cathedral. Several schools are named for Curry, as is Mount Curry in Banff National Park. In 1934, he was designated a person of national historic significance. And in the novel Starship Troopers, there is Camp Arthur Curry, named for him. He also received 19 honorary degrees during his life. And when the CBC did its ranking of the 100 greatest Canadians in history, Curry ranked 24th. I hope you enjoyed that episode and our look at Arthur Curry. Next week, we're going to be looking at the Battle of Hill 70. Information from Canadian Encyclopedia, Canadian War Museum, Biography, McGill, Wikipedia, Government of Canada, Library and Archives Canada, Ottawa Citizen, the Montreal Gazette, and the Vancouver Province. If this is your first time listening and you like what you heard, please take a moment and give us a five-star review to help other people find these amazing stories. And there are so many you can sink your teeth into. We also love hearing from you, so if you have a show topic you want me to cover, email me at craig at canadaehx.com or stop by my website and social media. I'll include all of those links in the show notes.